Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for you readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture comes from the CSB this week, the Christian Standard Bible. Now, the Bible is full of surprises because we don't know everything. Try to hold back your shock. And because we don't know everything, we're surprised when the Bible says something in one place and then says something entirely different in another place. Does that mean the Bible isn't true? No. Well, sometimes a thing is true, like when your mom says you can't ride your bike. And sometimes it's not true, because you can ride your bike. Why can't you ride your bike? Well, maybe you haven't learned how to ride it yet. Maybe you're in the house. Maybe you're at the top of the stairs. Maybe you are in a swimming pool, and that would be a very bad idea to try and ride your bike there. Maybe it's in the middle of the night, and it wouldn't be safe. But then there are times when you can ride your bike, like in the driveway or in your neighborhood or to get to school. And those answers are all about something called wisdom. Wisdom is why something that is the perfect choice today might be the worst choice tomorrow, like riding your bike in the pool at night. Okay, that's always a terrible choice, but how about eating a big meal? Well, it's a fine choice on Thanksgiving, but not right before you get on the roller coaster. Eating a big meal on Thanksgiving makes the cook feel really good about all their hard work. But eating a large meal right before you get on a roller coaster is going to make a big mess for everyone. And maybe even on everyone. Am I right? Okay. So, the Bible is full of this sort of thing. One minute gives you a rule that is forever and ever like no Moabite can ever be a part of the children of Israel. Not their children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren up to ten generations. But then when it came time for God to choose a king, he broke his own rule and chose David, whose great-grandmother was a Moabite. Well, what the heck is that about? That's about wisdom. And wisdom is about doing the right thing. Sometimes rules can get in the way of making the right choice. Not always, but sometimes. Like, the fourth commandment tells us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But there was a group called the Essenes, and they took it way too far. Now, it's true that the Bible says no work at all for anyone and not even animals. But during the lifetime of Jesus... The Essenes thought it would make God happier if they allowed a person to drown than if they did the work to save his or her life. Sure, technically they're keeping the Sabbath, but they were not being wise. Or even halfway decent. Jesus said that even if an animal needed help, that you had to better do the work. Wisdom is knowing when to keep the rules and when to break them. Just like God knew to break his own rule in order to make David king, even though he technically said it would be wrong forever. Now, what does this have to do with this week's Bible lesson? A ton. 
because we have a couple of surprises that people often notice that don't make sense on the surface. But I want you to enjoy the surprises in the Bible and know that it's okay to notice them. It's also okay to ask questions about them. It's even okay when we don't have answers. These puzzles, they're there for a reason. Even if the only reason is to keep us on our toes and to cause us to see how little we understand and how big God is compared to us. Remember, the Bible isn't a modern history book full of absolute dates and facts, but, you know, a theological history that tells us stories in order to teach us about God. And so it works the way that people in the ancient world would understand. It just wasn't written in the way that we decided we were going to write things. We weren't invented yet. Our ancestors, all the people who went before us, they changed the rules about how to write books and stories. So we have to do a little bit extra work to understand how they would have read the Bible. But that makes it all a whole heck of a lot more fun. And it makes more sense of a lot of the things in the Bible that only seem to be wrong when we're paying close attention on one hand, but not getting caught up in the details on the other hand. And about asking questions, I'm going to tell you a secret about grown-ups. Not all grown-ups like questions they can't answer. Some grown-ups are afraid of questions they can't answer. Maybe they'll be mean to you when you ask questions. I know that sometimes people get upset and they might say mean things or make stuff up when they get asked something when they really just ought to say, I don't know. Isn't it cool how the Bible makes us think about things like that? So if you have a question, and if you make the mistake of asking someone who makes you feel bad about asking, just find a new person to ask. You know what? You can even ask me. I may not have an answer for you. I may have 10 possible answers for you. But I promise that I won't try to make you feel like you're doing anything wrong by asking. Now first, let's talk about something that I skipped over last week because it was weird and because a lot of people are confused about it and have come up with a lot of different possible answers but nothing that's a for sure for sure kind of thing this is what god says right after the bible talks about the sons of men whoop, the sons of god and the daughters of men getting married and right before it talks about their children being famous and powerful men without even telling us what that meant. But we talked about that. Actually, we talked about that two weeks ago. So Genesis chapter six, verse three. And the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. And so this is just shoved into the middle of those two things. And like the rest of it, it isn't explained. So people are pretty sure that you kind of had to be there to totally understand it. Remember that context is the stuff we know and that we see as normal. And we just wrongly assume that everyone knows it and sees it as normal. Well, probably when Moses was telling the story to the children of Israel in the wilderness, they were like, oh yeah, I totally understand what he's getting at here. However, 
it does not describe what we say when we look at this. We might have something we were taught, and we might accept that it's the only way of looking at it, but the truth is that all sorts of people have all sorts of different ideas about this 120 mystery years and what they mean. And you know what? It is totally okay to discuss it and question it and come up with different ideas and to discuss the pros and cons, which is what we're going to do here. So, you've probably heard the, most, the two most popular theories. The first goes like this. God didn't want anyone to be living so long anymore, and so, after the flood, he decided that people wouldn't live more than 120 years. So, what are the upsides of this theory? The pros. Well, nowadays people really don't live more than 120 years. In fact, the oldest person alive in the world today that we know of is from Japan, and she is 118 years and four months old. Isn't it funny how when you're very young or very old, you start counting the months? But was this true after the flood? Well, not according to the Bible. In fact, seven generations went by after Noah's son Shem before someone died who was less than 200 years old. Abraham's grandfather Nahor died young, but Abraham's father was over 200 years old when he died too. Okay, and Abraham, he was 175 years old when he died. His son Isaac was 180 years old. Jacob was 147, and his son Joseph was 110 years old. Sure, their lives are getting shorter, but that's a far cry from God's announcement that their days will be 120 years. And yet, God makes a lot of decisions in the Bible where we don't see the results for a very long time, so we can't throw this out either. This is all part of talking and thinking about the Bible. Well, how about the people who say that the 120 years was the time left until the flood? That's certainly a possibility. I mean, it doesn't say that, but that's what it means. But it doesn't say anything about what it means. And it's really hard to figure out because there is a word in that verse that is only ever used once in the Bible, and we can't find it anywhere else in any other book in the whole world, in the whole history of the world. That word is Yadon. Let's look at that verse again. And the Lord said, My spirit will not Yadon with humans forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. Hmm. It's really hard trying to figure out what a word means when it only shows up one time and there weren't any dictionaries to tell people what a word meant. Sure, you can look in a Strong's Concordance, but that doesn't tell you what words mean. It tells you how they were translated into English, which is totally different. So Strong's Concordance is a book of opinions about how words should be translated and has examples of how it is translated in different places because one Hebrew or Greek word can have entirely different meanings based on how it's used. Let me give you an example. Give me a definition of the word bark. Now I want you to think carefully. What was the first thing that popped into your head? If you have a yappy dog or a neighbor dog that keeps you up all night, then you probably thought about the sound that a dog makes. But what about if you're a gardener and you love plants? You probably thought of the outer skin of a tree. 
Or maybe you love candy and you thought about peppermint bark. Based on how the word is used in context makes the meaning different. And Hebrew and Greek are no different than any other language when it comes to having words mean entirely different things based on how you use them. But yadon is a big problem because this is the only place it shows up anywhere in the world, unless we haven't discovered something else that used it yet. So what do we do? Jews and Christians have been trying to come up with the best meaning for like forever, but what we can do is make guesses. And by we, I mean they, because I can't. Does Yadon mean stay with, or protect, or put up with, or make excuses for, or fight with, or live inside, or whatever? We don't know. But there it is. And you can't just leave the space blank when you translate the Bible, so translators make decisions based upon what we know about God from other places in the Bible. So, when you read different translations, they won't always agree, and that's okay. The important thing is that God is telling us that things had gotten really bad because humans are corrupt. And if you remember from last week, that means ruined. God is saying that things are about to change in a big way, and he is about to do something big. Verse 5. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created, off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I have made them. Oh, man. What do we have here? Things are so bad that God is realizing that this isn't just a small problem, but that every single inclination of humans' minds were um, was evil. And, and not just sometimes, but all the time. But what does that mean? Every inclination. Well, I want you to think about the teeter-totter on the playground. If two people weigh exactly the same and they're the same distance from the center, then the teeter-totter is balanced. Both the seats are equally above the ground. That means that neither side of the teeter-totter is inclined toward the ground or tending to go in that direction. But that's no fun, right? The whole fun of a teeter-totter is to sit on it and push up with your feet so that one side will have an inclination to go up and the other side will have an inclination to go down. How is God comparing a teeter-totter to how people were thinking? Well, instead of the inclination going back and forth, up and down in the case of the teeter-totter, and toward evil or good in the case of human mind or thoughts, their thoughts before the flood were always going toward the evil and not toward the good. It's like a grown-up on the teeter-totter with the baby. That's just not normal or natural or a good idea. Sure, there are mean people in the world. You know that. But even mean people tend to have some people they're nice to or that they have some things that they're good about. I mean, most people, no matter how horrible they are, are nice to their grandmas or dogs. Sometimes pretty much everyone is nice and even the meanest people. A whole lot of people out there are good most of the time. 
But the Bible here says something surprising. It says there was a point when God noticed that people had become so wicked that not just some of their thoughts were evil, but all of them were headed in that direction and not just on bad days, but all the time. Can you imagine? I'm not sure I can. I have never experienced anything like that where absolutely everyone was actually wanting to be that mean to everyone else all the time. And a world like that would be a terrible place to live. It would be ruined. And that's exactly what God meant when he said that humans had become corrupt. His beloved creatures were ruined. When they were created, he called them good, but now they were the opposite of that. Ruined. How do you think God would feel about that? How would you feel? How would you feel if you adopted a litter of cute little puppies? If you made a wonderful soft bed for them, gave them a nice warm house, played with them, gave them good food to each and loved them. But then when you tried to train them, they would just nip at you. What if they refused to stop chewing on the furniture and insisted on peeing on everything and bit the people in the house? You'd have to move them outside. Just like God had to move Adam and Eve out of the garden when they refused to obey and then refused to do what was right. But of course, you wouldn't give up on the puppies just because they were outside. You'd keep trying to train them, hoping they would snap out of their bad attitudes so you could enjoy them and maybe even have them in the house again. But what if those puppies, as they got older, became not only mean to the family but to each other? What if they were fighting and hurting one another? What if they were even killing one another? What if one dog was stealing all the foods and the rest of the dogs were starving? Well, obviously what started out as a wonderful idea of having puppies in a happy family was totally ruined. And it wouldn't be your fault because you gave them everything and tried really hard to train them, but the puppies really wanted to be bad. You would regret getting those puppies and you would just be devastated. So sad. And you'd have to do something to fix the situation. After all, you couldn't risk the dogs escaping from your backyard and hurting or killing the neighbors. The dogs would have to go. And I would bet you would be sad but not angry. I think that's the kind of situation that this was like for God. He created humans because he wanted their companionship. He did everything for them. But they'd made the decision to fill the whole earth with wickedness. And although the Bible says that God was filled with regret, meaning he was sorry and sad that he ever created humans in the first place, it never says that he was angry. That's very important to know because a lot of the stories tell us that God sent the flood because he was furious. But you won't find that here. You can search all you want and you won't find it. What you will find here is regret. God is sorry that things have become so terrible and he has to do something. The world before the flood is sometimes described by Bible scholars as a world of systematic oppression, which is way more complicated and fancy than it sounds, okay? Well, no, it sounds way more complicated and fancy than it. You know what I mean. Okay. Aren't you glad there are no tests? But it means that at every level, in the government, in the community, and even in the families, people were hurting one another. 
means that it was illegal, means it was, it was legal or allowed by the laws of the land to do terrible things to each other and to the animals as well. It was a world with no rules about how we need to treat people, no limits on what people can and cannot do. When they get angry or greedy, nothing telling the strong that they can't crush the weak or the rich that they need to help the poor. There were no Ten Commandments, and so there were no laws against stealing or killing or lying. And the worst part was that people lived for so long that the really powerful and famous men, the Nephilim, wouldn't get weak after they got to be about 50 years old or die once they hit 80 or 90. Imagine the worst bully you can think of and imagine having to live around him for 700 years. If he didn't kill you first, then he probably would. Think of all the new ways he could come up with to make your life miserable if he was to live that long. It's horrible. And this is actually one of the reasons why some people think that the 120 years was all about making our lives shorter so the amount of evil one person could do would be cut off a whole lot sooner. Imagine if Hitler had lived 800 years. It's just too horrible to even think about. Now, in a world like that, what is there for God to do? God has to make a terrible decision. He has two choices. He can leave things alone and just hope they get better while men, women, and children are suffering terribly while also hurting other people, or he can start all over again. It's a terrible decision to have to make. What would you do? How many people could you watch being hurt before you decided to do something to start all over again after everything you tried didn't work? Although we see the story of the flood and Noah's Ark and people make it into a children's story and there are games and colorful books and toys, it's really a very terrible and terrible thing and horribly sad. God regretted making everyone. He was grieved, which means he was sad like when someone dies. Maybe you've had someone you love die or maybe a pet. That's a terrible sadness. And I hate that the world that God made was so ruined that he felt that kind of sadness. And remember that he isn't ever described as angry, just really sad. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I've made them. So the humans, they couldn't be fixed. Without commandments and a sense of right and wrong, without any laws, they went too far and things have become too evil. Now, in a few weeks, we'll talk about the flood stories from different cultures around the world. There were about 6,000 cultures separated by languages on Earth. Well, right now there are. And out of those 6,000 cultures, 68 of them have flood stories about the world getting wiped out by a flood. That's a little bit more than 1%. Those other stories have something in common. Angry gods wiping out people for some really stupid reasons. None of those reasons have anything to do with sin or hurting each other. Sometimes the people are too loud or annoying and the gods just decide to get rid of them. Sometimes a god is jealous of the humans. But nowhere 
are there any gods who are sad and doing anything to fix the problem of governments and communities and families hurting each other and ruining the earth we only find that in the bible remember the bible isn't a modern history book or a science book it tells us about god and how he is very different from every legend and every false god in all the stories on earth Moses did this so that the children of Israel would know that our God could be trusted to always do what was right. He isn't like us, and he certainly isn't like all those false gods killing human beings just because we can be annoying. And we're going to talk more about that very soon. Anyway, I love you. I'm praying for you. And I hope you have a wonderful week studying the there, studying the Bible with the people who love you. You take care.